Eden. This is the first story in the Bible, okay? And I, I think it's not just the first story because it's historically the first story. I think it's the first story because it's the most important story, right? Uh, first, let's look at the word Eden in uh, Hebrew. I'm going to show you something very interesting here, okay? Um, okay, now, does anybody remember what that was? I don't. I, ayan, okay, represents I. Okay, to see or knowledge, okay. This is the door, okay. Uh, this is not how it was in the ancient Hebrew. I'm just drawing a door. And this is a sprouting seed, okay. Oh, is it? I thought that was going to be like a... That's the noon, okay. I done. I done. Mm. Okay, so notice something here. This is Eden. The eye to see knowledge. What does that remind you of? <laughs> the knowledge of good and evil their eyes were open they saw that's what that is there's a door between this and the sprouting seed that represents renewed life and what does that remind us of the tree of life this is all in the the name eden right there isn't that that's great okay so uh yeah it's, it's like this is this is the depth of of the language that is just like oh I didn't and then you could you could see oh okay then you can make the connections if you're if you're in that language you can see that the story connects with that very word okay now here's the word for knowledge okay dot okay it is uh, just a couple of words here all right and then we'll get started with the story all right now this is a door the eye in the top that's an intersection it's bringing two things together like if you have a gun and you have that little uh, crosshairs okay you're, you're targeting in on something specific this is knowledge the door to see something specific right that's what that's what I would say that that is looking like all right now the most important part of this here is good and evil all right Tov. Tob, I'm sorry. Well, they, they do use the B. Sometimes they use it as B. Tob, okay, that's good. Now, this is a basket of goods. This is the thing that in ancient Egyptian was the uh, the city. This is literally what this, the word in Egypt would be for city. But in Hebrew, it's a basket of goods. Represents a collection of things that are together are one. Plus, you could have that. That's the vav, the, the stake, tent stake. And this is a house, okay? All right, so this is the like word seed. for good. Uh, yeah, the seed goes at the end, and it's, it's elongated. I, I made it a little bit longer, but this is more like a, a nail, you know. Um, but this is the modern Hebrew, so they don't represent the pictographs from back then. And I'm mixing in here, just for pictographic uh, relevance, I'm mixing in with what is actually ancient Egyptian Hebrew, and this is not. I'm just making those so it... it it, it shows the picture, but the, the plus sign is bringing these two together, right? So a collection of things that together are structured. That's what the, the word good means. A collection of things that together are structured. When God says it is not good for Adam to be alone, he is saying he is not a structure or he's not a, a collection of things that are structured, but Adam plus Eve together are a collection of things that together are structured as in marriage, okay? 
Um, every time he, uh, like light, or, or he, he, at the end of each day, except for day two and twice on day three, he does a work and he says that it's good. This is a collection of things that together are structured or functioning. Okay, that's, that is what good is. And here's the more profound one here. Ra. Resh Ayan, okay? And that is the, the first, the chief, and this is to see. The first sight, okay? We'll put number one there, okay? First or chief, all right? This can be read several different ways, all right? The first sight, this is bad, right? When their eyes are open for the first time and they saw that they were naked, that was bad, okay? When they first decided that they could decide for themselves independent of God, that is what is encapsulated in this, this word. Also, sometimes when a letter is at the end of a word, it is reversed in its meaning. So you could say, to not know the first or the chief, to not know who God is. And what is it that they didn't know? They didn't realize, they didn't fully appreciate who God was. Okay, so that's all the Hebrew I think we have in this one, but it's really fascinating how it all comes together there. Okay, so God builds an estate, it says in chapter two, and he, he builds it, so he, out of the entire planet, he finds a place that is ideal for trees to, to, to prosper. And he selects a, a subset of the world's trees that are, pleasant to look at, but also good for food, right? This is a selection process. And this represents something that would have taken a lifetime or several lifetimes of research and uh, exploration, uh, all this, to search the globe and, and, and select all the best trees and find the best place and to plant them. And decades later, you have a functioning garden. So that's what this estate represents, is a lot of work put into this, building it, studying it. It would take a lot of, uh, a lot of time and, and, and research and observation to put together. And this is what was built for them so that they could just walk in and maintain what was already built. It's beautiful, it's practical, it's enjoyable. The tree of life represents something that is sustaining via dependence. The tree of life, we'll put the L up here for life. And then we, uh, I like to, to, to summarize this uh, KGE, all right? Not to be confused with the KGB, they're also bad, okay? But uh, they don't exist anymore that we know of. Okay, so life... So life is something, the tree of life is something you have to keep on eating to keep sustaining, right? And once you're cut off from the tree of life, that's how you die, okay? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is something you only have to take one time and it's, it's forever changed you. And you never have access to it again because you're cut off from it. That's the idea there, right? The doctrine of Yahweh, okay? We're going to look at the doctrine of Yahweh then we're going to look at the doctrine of the serpent, and then we're going to focus on Eve and, and or Adam, even Adam. I can't remember what, uh, what uh, order I put those in, but we'll get that. Number one, work to maintain what was already made. Okay, freely eat of every tree, with one limitation. Now, four is marriage and family. Five. 
um, as a, a kind of a side note, he doesn't tell Adam everything, right? He doesn't tell Adam, if you eat of this tree, your eyes are going to be open. He's, he doesn't tell Adam, you're going to see that you're naked. He doesn't tell Adam, I'm going to kick you out of the garden. He doesn't tell him any of that because that would detract from the most important thing. Very simple. You eat of this fruit, you will die that very day. Very simple. Now the question is, did they die physically then? Well, we find out later they didn't die physically, but they absolutely died in who they were, right? They died that day, they were kicked out of the garden. Who they were, they were gardeners of God, and then they weren't. That transition happened that very day. So there's a play on words here. There's a play on the word death. The serpent also doesn't lie. He uses the truth to deceive, and we're going to see how that works out. Everything, you can, it doesn't tell everything, but he tells them the most important thing. Okay, the serpent, the snake. Now, I don't happen to believe that the, the serpent is, is, is representing something, a snake that actually talked. But let's make that assumption today. Because if it is a snake that actually talked or is representing some kind, there are several kinds of snakes that exist, Right? And uh, what is the first kind of snake you think of when you think of a snake? Anybody? What do you think of when you think of a snake? What are you afraid of? When we were out there by the rocks, by the, the a river. A rattlesnake. Why? Because if it bites you, it's going to hurt you. Instantaneous death. You get bitten, you are alive, thriving, enjoying your life one minute. The next minute, you're staring fa- uh, death in the face, right? Instantaneous. Well, since this malevolent being does not bite them, I'm going to rule out that it was a poisonous snake. I'm going to rule that out, okay? What is another kind of snake that is as deadly but is not very quick in, its, uh, in your demise, right? And that is an anaconda, something that will slowly wrap itself around you and squeeze the life out of you. And then it'll eat you if it's big enough. It prefers children and smaller animals because they're easier to swallow. Well, since that didn't happen, um, well, I'm going to rule out that kind of snake. All right. So you have the quick death snake. You have the slow death snake. Neither one of those were left with one other option. And that is a snake that can't bite you and he can't eat you. He's a totally harmless snake, maybe a garden snake. And since this is the Garden of Eden, I'm going to say that is our chief candidate. But this is no ordinary snake. This snake can talk. And that is where this story is focused on. It starts off, the serpent was more subtle than all the other beasts of the field. Why did it have to be more subtle? Because it has zero defenses, right? It can't bite. It can't, it's not big enough to really defend itself. It, it has to be very, very subtle, okay? And this in contrast to Yahweh, the one who creates, the almighty, powerful. You've got God over here, and then you've got the serpent, Okay? And uh, I'll just put G for God here because we're going to need some more room, okay? Now, the serpent is the opposite of God. He's representing something different, okay? God is very clear, very concise, very direct, 
And he's saying, don't eat of the, eat of everything. Don't eat of the fruit. You're going to die. He doesn't give any more details because that's going to detract from the most important thing. The serpent, however, is indirect. He never tells them you should eat this fruit. Never tells them that. All he does is he takes away the reason why not to, to eat the fruit, and he offers some reasons why you should. The serpent is about you making your own decisions, okay? But let's focus in on, uh, on how he approaches this subject, or uh, Eve, right? Here's Eve here. Now notice this is another thing here. He doesn't go to Adam, okay? We can go Adam like that, or man or woman or whatever. So there's God. Adam is made directly from God's image. Eve is made physically directly from Adam. And then you have the serpent that is directly made from God. He's completely separated from from these two, okay? But he goes to Eve, all right? This is symbolically him trying to pick off the furthest away from God, so to speak, right? And he mischaracterizes God because he says, did God say you shouldn't eat of any of these trees? Now, already he's focusing on the premise that God is an unreasonable character, a tyrant, somebody who's going to make you work the garden but not let you eat of any of the trees. And when she corrects the, uh, corrects the matter and says, oh, no, we can eat of all the, the trees of the garden. We just can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The only time he's direct is because she says we should not touch it uh, eat it or touch it lest we, we die. And, and people will focus in on the touching is different uh, than just eating, but you can't eat it without touching it. So there's that, okay? And he said, you shall not surely die. So he's taken away that reason. And then he says, if you eat thereof, for, for God knows. Now here's another thing about the serpent. The serpent is a vulnerable narcissist in his character, right? He is projecting onto God something that he himself is currently doing. Right? He's projecting. God is keeping knowledge from you. Well, what is the serpent doing? He's also keeping knowledge from them. He doesn't tell them they're going to get kicked out of the garden. It's going to be a hard life. But hey, it's going to be worth it because at least you'll be independent. He doesn't say any of that. He says you're going to be as gods. Okay? Um, And so... What we see here is a contrast between God and the serpent in another way. God has separated out part of the tree. The doctrine of Yahweh is to limit, uh, limit, limit, put limits on yourself, okay? Self-imposed limitations, okay? But he doesn't force this on them. He just says, this is what you should do. And the serpent is about no limitations materialistically no limitations. What he's saying is that you should eat this holy tree, something that is set apart, you should eat it like any other tree. He's making the holy profane, okay? He's taking something that has been set apart and he's erasing its set apartness and he's saying it just should be like every other tree. It's total materialism. The second thing he, he, he uh, says you shouldn't have limits to is knowledge. Now, I'm one who loves to acquire knowledge. And so it's hard for me to really apply this in a way that I should limit my knowledge. But there is a way you should limit your knowledge. And that is uh, in a way that there are certain, certain things about other people maybe you shouldn't know. So everybody should have their own privacy. Solomon talks about not listening in on your servants 
you know, when they're talking. Now, give your servants some privacy, you know, because they might curse you uh, behind your back or something like that. Well, this was knowledge that was God's knowledge. He wanted to have separate, and it was his business. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a personal privacy thing, right? And, and that's kind of the application I'm putting there. Thirdly, no limits to experiences. They, their eyes were open. They had some kind of mind-altering experience, maybe a, a change in consciousness, so to speak, okay? And uh, uh, the serpent says there shouldn't be any experiences that you shouldn't uh, uh, experience, right? So that's in contrast to, to, to God's doctrine there. Um, the other thing, uh, so number one, he wants to profane that which is holy physically. He also wants to use the physical as a means to the spiritual, okay? Ye shall become as gods, all right? Are gods physical beings? No, they're spiritual beings. They don't inhabit bodies, you know? I mean, they, 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 the gods have, in some cases, they, you know, if you say the sons of God became men, the son of God became man. Yes, they became material, but their natural state, their first estate is that of spiritual. So what the serpent is saying is you should use this physical means as a conduit to the spiritual, okay? This is also the Tower of Babel. It's an artifice to bring that which is on earth into the heavens. It's merging the material with the heavenly, or the earthly with the heavenly, the material with the spiritual, so to speak. It's the same thing as an idol. It's supposed to be there to summon that which is spiritual to into the physical, and we worship the physical, right? Same thing, right? Okay. Secondly, full independence from God. God says, don't do that. You can make your own decisions, okay? Um, and, and you should make your own decisions, making you equal with God and on his playing field, voiding out the word of God, so to speak. Projecting, I already went over to that. Uh, he doesn't talk about the hardships, the, the curses, the pain, the death, the disinheritance. Okay, he uses the physical. Okay, so there's all that equal with God. Okay, contrast between God and the serpent. God's thing is very simple. Okay, just work the garden, follow the rules. It's already been, uh, been created. All you have to do is maintain it. All right? God is direct, the serpent is indirect. God is about dependence, the serpent in the story is about independence. God is about maintaining, the serpent is about starting new. God is about tradition, and the serpent in the story is about revolution. God is about concrete, and the serpent is about the abstract, okay? Now, how many of you have heard of Eve's paradox? Eve's Paradox. You haven't heard of it because I made it up myself, okay? This is original, okay? So let's look at Eve for a minute, okay? Here we are with Eve. Eve looks at the fruit, and she makes some observations. The fruit is good for food. Well, of course it's good for food, it's part of the subselection of the entire planet in which God selects that which is good for food, right? Secondly, pleasant to the eyes. 
That was also part of the criterion. She's not discovering anything new. This is the same stuff, right? To be desired. Interesting that that's in there. It should be to be desired because her curse is that her desire will be to her husband, whatever that means, okay? To make one wise. Now, how she figured out that this thing was going to make her wise somehow, I don't know, but that's what's in there, okay? So she is judging this fruit and all she sees is good, right? Because the fruit is the one that is going to be the thing that allows her to be able to judge not only good, but also evil. But she is making a judgment. Eve's paradox is that she doesn't have the qualifications to judge the fruit as if it is something that she should be able to have. She needs the fruit in order to make that judgment, but she can't make that judgment unless she has the fruit. That's Eve's paradox, okay? Um... Without the KGE, the knowledge of good and evil, by default, everything is good. That's it. However, yet by choosing the tree of knowledge of good and evil, everything is good except for God. He's the one thing that's standing in the way of all that's good. He's standing in the way because he wants to limit your experiences, your Uh, uh, acquiring anything you want, just unmitigated indulgence, right? That's the message here. Now, let's look at Adam, because Adam is very interesting in this particular thing. (laughs) Adam is not a good guy, right? Adam is standing there because it does say that he was with her. She gave to him, Adam was with her. After she ate it, okay? He waits, he's standing there watching the, this discussion. Eve is standing there right there, and he's just watching her, waiting. All right, let's see. If Eve eats this and she dies, I've got several more ribs. God can just make another one. So I'm going to let Eve be the test subject for this, right? Okay? That's what I'm thinking because he was right there with her. And it probably gets awkward after a little bit because, you know, nothing happens and she's still there and she's not keeling over dead and she's offering it to him. And he's like, well, if I wait any longer, she's going to get catch on to me for uh, wanting to see if she's her to be a, a test subject. So he eats it also. All right. Now, after he eats it, of course, this is another characteristic. This is Adam is embodying the role of what a man should not be, right? Passively allowing his wife to be the test subject. You know, she's the expendable one, okay? No courage. Notice what, what uh, he, he says to God after they hide themselves. They hide separately, okay? Uh, let me see here. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll show you this. Now, remember, they're supposed to be together, but, uh, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Trees, plural, okay. And the Lord God called to Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid Myself. He didn't say we hid ourselves together. He said, I hid myself. They parted ways, okay? The, what ser- the serpent did was he split their marriage up. They're, they're running. Uh, and, and by the way, so the next thing that happens, of course, is Adam. 
it is it so god confronts him he's like uh how did you know you were naked did you eat of the tree that i told you not to eat thereof and the man says the woman who thou gavest to me she gave to me of the tree and i did eat now the implication is is that he was minding his own business and all of a sudden it was dinner time and she put the dinner on the table and he just ate right that's the implication However, if you're not supposed to eat an apple and somebody gives you an apple, you're not going to confuse it with an orange or a peach or a banana. Fruits are pretty specific in what they are. This is probably the same. There's no way out of it. But Adam is trying to imply, and without any lying, I don't think there's any lying that goes on in here. This is all true statements. And... Uh, but the implications are, are supposed to be misleading. But it's like a child, you know. Oh, I don't need the cookie. And the cookies are all over his face, chocolate and everything like that, you know. Okay, let me go back to my notes here. I have a question. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I always wondered how they could know what death is. Death is not a bad thing if you don't know what bad is. Mm-hmm. So, like, however, surely die. there's always the fear of the unknown. That would apply here, right? Something bad is going to happen to okay, you. And that would have been enough of a motivation to keep it. And it was. They stayed away from it until they were confronted, and he took that bad thing away. Okay, I can get on board with that. Okay, cool. So, no courage. Adam hides by himself. He doesn't, you know, he just splits ways, blames Eve for giving it to him, and blames God for giving it to, to him, Eve. You know, basically, God, you're the one who gave it to me because, oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're you're basically the one that gave me the fruit to eat because you gave me Eve and Eve gave it to me. See how that works? The blame game. This is total uh, nonsense. You know, it's just if you if you see it in that way. So, here's a little short lesson in marriage. Right? They were supposed to be codependent. Eve is going to be a help me to him. At, at the very least, she's helping him, right? But usually in marriage, there's codependency and working together, right? Well, what happens? They become independent and hiding alone, and they work against each other, right? Or at least he's working against her, okay? But let's see what happens afterwards, okay? Um, the next chapter they do make up and they have kids and stuff like that. So no matter, I mean, this is horrible. Like this guy is a total jerk, you know, and, uh, it, but they, they stay together. You know, Eve, you could blame Eve if you want to, but I mean, she's, she just was, was tricked into it. And, and Adam could have been like, you're, you so, you're just so stupid. You're just a stupid person. And there's yeah. a, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. Now that, well, no. It's like now that we see that we're naked and we're, we're now we have to wear clothes. Then, then they. But I'm going to show you something. Wait, did I say that yesterday? With the Eve uh, was already pregnant when they left the the garden because he names her Eve, the mother of all living. That's that's what I believe happened. Okay. Is that why the angel was so mad? He was like, go, go. Well, the the cherubim. Yeah, they, he was to keep them from the tree of life, lest they take it and they are sustained in life. Okay, so let's look at that for, for a minute, though. Okay, so 
Um, the serpent says you shall not surely die. And that's correct. They didn't die physically, but who they did or who they were died. He said, ye shall become as gods, right? A spiritual beings. Well, become is a process, but yeah, like after you die, you become a spiritual being is, is what is belief, right? And so in that manner, he's also correct. And you'll have the knowledge. So everything he says is correct. But see, both of these are correct statements. They're true, but especially the death part is true in different ways. So what you see here is the truth that seems to be a lie and another lie that's, you know, that, that is, seems to be true. You know. So anyway, okay, so God in this figure is the one that, is, that represents order, authority, because he also curses all of them, right? Uh, he's the owner of the estate and he's the provider. Even, in, even afterwards, he provides for them clothes. You know, God, people think that God in the Old Testament is this horrible person, but like he said they were going to die and he doesn't kill them, right? So um, in fact, later on, when somebody actually murders, God's like, not only am I not going to, you know, he puts a curse on him, but not only am I not going to murder you back, I'm going to protect you from getting murdered from other people. He protects a murderer. And, and this is, this is the something. Mark of Cain. The mark of Cain, right, yeah. He protects them. Anybody who kills Cain, it'll be sevenfold on them or something like that, right? Uh, okay, so Cain goes off and, and he goes into the land of Nod and all that stuff. Okay, so this is this is a uh, this is another this is off topic, but this is very interesting about the Bible. Is it showing that if you don't take care of the murderer, over time the consequences. Uh, build up. All right. There's another guy. Was it Tubal Cain that says, "I've murdered a person. If if Cain is avenged seven times, uh, sevenfold, surely I'll be uh, seventy times seven, or something like that. So, seventyfold, or something like that." So he's bragging about murdering somebody. He's the one that has the two wives. Okay. In is, is it Tubal Cain? I can't remember. That's what you said. So. Uh, uh, which there that is a, a character okay Cain and Abel Adam's descendants I don't know I can't look it up but anyway he had two wives it says that he had two wives and uh, it's I think it's at the beginning of one of the uh, the things but anyway so but that's not the end what happens is the whole world becomes evil right just evil continually right and God says man I have I, I am so disappointed in humanity. I'm just going to wipe them all out. Okay, that's how bad it gets, right? But he finds grace in Noah. Uh, Noah finds grace in his eyes. First thing he does after the flood, he gets out. All right, new policy. If somebody kills somebody, they're going to get killed back. That's the new policy. By man's hands shall his blood also be shed, Right? This is a complete reversal from what was before, right? This is something that we're to look at and say, hey, should we coddle murderers? Should we just let them live in prison? All this stuff. Well, or at least in prison, they're uh, sequestered, you know, but um, letting them out afterwards, eight years later or whatever. 
you know, this is indicating, hey, God already tried that. Didn't really work out over the long run. Now it took hundreds and maybe a thousand and a half years or something like that for the whole world to become this, you know, they lived a long time, you know, like 900 years and stuff, but still there was this. So that is the picture that's shown there. Okay, so anyway, that's, that's all in describing God, order and all that. And he's also, you know, he's, he's adjusting to, to this stuff. Okay, Adam. Adam was passive silent, complicit, deferred responsibility, right? This is the kind of man we should not be, okay? Passive, silent, complicit, and deferring responsibility. The woman was active, first decision maker, and she was deceived, okay? And of course, the serpent was the anarchist, malevolent deceiver, okay? So those are the... Huh? Oh, okay, Adam. Did you already do that? I'm sorry. I'm not sure I did. Uh, okay. The first one is power, right? Yes. That's the top person's ox. Power? That's ox. Yeah, that's the ox head. It, uh, I can see, see the ox head, that's why I remember it. I look at it, I, yeah, I'm trying to see it. It's hard to draw, but that's the, ox head. the ancient. The By the way, there. so when the, the Hebrews go out... Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> when, when the Hebrews go out into the wilderness and they're away from Moses for a while and he's up there, what do they do? They build a golden calf. calf. Power. They wanted power. They thought that we'll, we'll we make... We're, we're going to make a, a golden image of our new God. That's what we're going to do. Because the Aleph represents God and it's a calf. It's a strong animal. Lions... And calves or lions and ox, uh, you know, they're an equal fight, you know, but the ox is bigger, okay? One on one, ox is going to win, okay? It takes several lions to isolate a small ox in order, but, you know, several oxen will kill a lion too. So this implies that that's what they were thinking. We'll make an ox because this is our new God. The alphabet would have suggested that. Now, there's also. Uh, what, what historians or biblical historians will say is that it was one of the Egyptian, random Egyptian gods that they plucked out of nowhere and decided to make a calf out of. This makes a lot more sense. They misunderstood and they made a golden calf to their new god, but they didn't really get that, you know, make no graven images yet, okay? So, powerful door of water, okay? Powerful door of water. That's what it represents. We're made mostly of water. You can uh, think of the uh, reproductive aspects of the implications there. That might be more relevant, you know. So, anyway. Yeah. So, um, so that's it. And this is kind of what, what breaks down society. We do have people that... Seem human, you know, but they're they're really psychopaths. They exist, okay, and they will. They don't. The curse of the serpent is like you're not going to really succeed in life. And according to Jordan Peterson, psychopaths don't do very well. They don't have, you know, the the Amber Heard thing, okay. She's like a, a vulnerable narcissist, okay, and um, uh, she doesn't have her best friends on the stage and like, well, you know, she's uh, like really not supporting Amber Heard very well, you know. That's what happens. Psychopaths have short-term, they have, they have enough 
view to be able to work into the midterm, but they don't think long-term enough, and they end up burning all their bridges and stuff like that. These people, will, will, they will flatter you. They will, uh, they'll, do, they'll say anything. They call it love-bombing, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, but they, they seem harmless. You know, they're the harmless. They're the con artists and stuff like that. These people exist, and you got to avoid them, okay? Then there's the people that, you know, they're deceived. They're naive or whatever. Naive, interesting, okay? Eve, naive, okay, anyway. And then there's the passive. When evil persists when good men do nothing. He was, what was he doing? Nothing, just standing there. And there's God. He represents the law. He represents ex, ex, the ex, uh, um, law enforcement and judge, everything. Okay, so that concludes the traditional. Now, tomorrow is going to be the non-traditional. See, this whole time, we've been viewing this from the perspective of the knowledge of good and evil. We are, we are looking at this from this perspective of what is good and what is evil. Tomorrow, we are going to say, you know, Yahweh never meant for us to take from that tree. So we are going to view this whole entire story all over again from without using the tree of knowledge and good and evil. We're just going to use it. We're going to look at this objectively through the tree of life, objectively as in this is what life is. You have two choices. You have different characters. And we're going to step back from judging good and evil, and we're going to see how we can apply this in a different way. And your mind will be blown. Okay. Or you'll be angry at me. <laughs>